Welcome to another edition of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. This one's going to bring my buddy Ed Moore back in, and we are going to discuss two more issues of the exploits of Encantu the Living Mummy. That's right, supernatural thrillers. We're going to continue on through this all the way to the end, and maybe even a couple more of his uh, other uh, appearances uh, in the Marvel Universe and the Bronze Age, but... These two issues are really wild. Uh, they take the book in a slightly different direction here, but it's, it's a fun direction, and uh, Ed and I had a good time talking about it. So stay tuned, because after the break, uh, we will be right back with those two issues. Behold, the statue of Anubis. So... It was you who stole it from the temple. It was I. I should have guessed. But why? A fair question. This small, shall we say, tomb away from tomb is a trap, Dr. Quest. Get to the point. <laughs> you and Mr. Bannon will be found here with the god Anubis. And it will appear to be a foreign plot to steal one of our ancient treasures. I have dedicated my life to welding all our peoples together. This is the thing that will trigger that unity. We will become a great nation again. And what makes you think we'll hold still for your crackpot accusation? As you can see, you have no choice. And if you think you can escape from this tomb, perhaps this might dissuade you. Those snakes wouldn't be poison adders by any chance. Precisely, Doctor. An old Egyptian custom. Is he kidding with those things, Dr. Quest? I never kid, Mr. Bannon. Stand back, Reese. Those vipers are dangerous. As dangerous as Kareem. Correct again, Doctor. But you will find these little vipers extremely helpful. Oh, yeah? How? They will help keep your mind off your other problems. Yeah. Thanks a heap. So for now, farewell, gentlemen. You will be discovered with the statue, alive or dead. It is immaterial. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. And I am here to talk some supernatural thrillers. And that means my buddy Ed Moore is joining me once again. How are you, Ed? I'm doing pretty good this evening, Billy. How are you, sir? I am doing well. Um, we have two more issues here of the Living Mummy, and uh, these were these were interesting issues. I know we left on a, a note of Encantu uh, uh, defeating the Living Pharaoh. That kind of came out of nowhere, but uh, he defeated him. But then somebody ran off with the uh, what is it? What do they call it? The Scarlet Scarab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I I thought for some reason that was one person and it turns out it's a totally different new person. So we'll, we'll have to get into that here. I think I just uh, messed up a little bit. I think I wasn't reading ahead, so I wasn't uh, sure who it was. I just uh, made a huge assumption on who it was and I was wrong. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been reading, reading ahead either, but I I kind of agree with you. Yeah. It was like, Oh, he had it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) It was like, wait, what? I thought it was, but no. So, (laughs) so yeah, so we'll get into that here, but yeah, we're going to be covering the supernatural thrillers 10 and 11, and we're going to obviously start out with number 10 here. And this was uh, cover dated December, 1974. 
uh, and it's got a cover by Gil Kane and Al Milgram. So uh, what are your thoughts on this cover here? Pretty action-packed, right? Yeah, yeah, and definitely very directly tied into um, about what half of the book, essentially, half of the story inside, or the Nakantu story anyways. There's another little backup story in it too. But yeah, it's, it's nice to see, and I, I think I've made mention of this before, how you can pick up a comic book and get like an encapsulated idea of what the actual story in the book is by looking at the cover. That's, mm-hmm. that's nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is an interesting cover. We have uh, our, you know, the living mummy logo here at the top, which always looks super cool. It's like a purplish kind of background and yellow letters with like a red fiery outline on the word mummy. And, uh, it says a choice of dooms on the left. And we see, it's almost like a, uh, Oh, what's that DC War comic where it was? Oh, the haunted tank. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it. It reminds me of any number of the what do they call them? The the big five uh, DC War books uh, yeah. at the time. You know, this this could have theoretically been a cover. As far as I know, I, I'm not overly versed on on each of the individual books, but I could see this being a cover for any of those five DC War books of the what was that like the early to mid seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, with the mummy being front and center here, if he just threw some clothes on and we just saw his wrapped head and face, it would almost be like that guy. Uh, what's his name? That was uh, unknown in the soldier. DC. Yeah, the unknown soldier. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Absolutely. It could. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe leave his, his arms a little bare or something to make it look like his arms are wrapped. But yeah, it could he, it could definitely be him standing there. Although I don't know if he would necessarily be taking 50 cows, would he? Because I, I I think the uh, the unknown soldier was like a normal dude. He was just wrapped up. So this mm-hmm. might have been the very last unknown soldier title if that was him. Because the the mummy is taking some definite hits from the fifty cal mounted on top of the tank. Yeah, and it doesn't look like it's you know hurting him a whole lot. And there's a a lady sh- uh, soldier here on the ground, and she's got a a machine gun, but that's on the ground. I don't know if she ran out of bullets, and then she's a. Uh, doing something uh, I don't think real military people ever do, which is pulling a pin out of a grenade with her teeth. Yeah, that that's not the... <laughs> at first, when you just look at it, it looks like maybe she's vomiting or something. You know, it's like, mm, that's that's a little difficult to draw. So we, we should have just drawn her, like maybe chucking the, the grenade over in Contu or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great cover. I really like it quite a bit. But yeah, it definitely reminded me of, you know, like I said, Haunted Tank or, you know, any of those DC War titles that would have had Qbert or Russ Heath or whomever on the cover drawing these tanks. And there's a tank trying to blast a living mummy here. And he looks like he's kind of protecting this soldier. And like you said, this actually will come true in the issue. So, you know, I, I love it. No bait and switch. <laughs> no, really, really solid tank, too. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I know I've learned, you know, over the years that certain artists have have proclivities for and against um certain types of still life drawing you know some can draw mm-hmm. horses and some can't and what um if if this is if all of this is gil kane uh he did a pretty pretty good tank here i, I like this tank yeah it looks really really good and then in the bottom left hand corner there's a, a little uh, blurb that says also in this incredible issue the awesome asp and of yeah. course, I'm thinking, what does that mean? So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get into the asp here, and <laughs> he's a, an interesting character. But yeah, so all right, that's a pretty good uh, lead in here with this uh, cover. And then uh, just on uh, comics.org here, it just says, "And Kantu thinks about his past life and helps an Israeli soldier fight against Egyptian soldiers." So that's p- 
pretty much the basis here, but let's uh, start off here right off the bat with this uh, splash page. Now, I will say, when I first look at this splash page, uh, I was thinking, oh man, why'd they make uh, the mummy look so like kind of, he looks a little malnourished, but you know, he was, you know, in a tomb for like 3000 years. So you got to cut him a break. And then now that I'm thinking about it, you know, he kind of does remind me of the mummy uh, when Christopher Lee uh, played the character, because he's a very tall, thin man. It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't place because I'm not, you know, a real big movie aficionado, but I couldn't place it. But it certainly looked like a, a scene or maybe a a movie bill or something like that that I had seen of a mummy for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it just says a choice of lions at the top here. And then it gives the uh, the credits here. We have <laughs> Len Wein as the pinch scripter. Tony Isabella, co-plotter, Val Merrick, artist and co-plotter, Dan Adkins, inker, Glennis Wing, colorist, Artie Simic, letter, and Roy the Boy Thomas as the editor here. So, yeah, this is a pretty neat scene here. I mean, it's not super detailed, but there's like a red sky in the background, and the mummy's kind of lumbering uh, through the desert here, and it looks like you can see one of the pyramids where he was just at, where he defeated you know, our buddy, uh, the living pharaoh, uh, on the left. And there's a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot of text, but there's a good bit of text describing what's going on here, which, you know, doesn't sound like it's totally necessary, but uh, I think Len Wein did a really good job describing the scene. So uh, I love a little bit of purple prose to start off here. Yeah, I can kind of understand. I mean, us, we didn't necessarily need it because we have been reading along, but I, I suppose if somebody just picked this up fresh and hadn't read any of the previous issues, the, the text was was needed, but it was also just enough, I think, to really catch you up and, and put you where the mummy is in his story at uh, in, in this particular issue. Yeah. And then you flip the page and he goes into a bunch of, uh, you know, recap inside his own mind. And we see it out on the page here, too, how he, you know, met these elementals and, you know, they were trying to control him to get this scarlet scarab artifact because that is the only thing that can defeat them so they thought well let's uh utilize mr uh, mummy here in contu and have him get it for us and we see him venturing into a pyramid and fighting the forces of the living pharaoh here and he pretty much slapped all of those guys down real easy and i'll be honest the living pharaoh didn't really uh you know put up a he he put up a fight but it didn't take you know half an issue even for Encantu to just, you know, uh, shoot, uh, show that he's uh, the superior uh, fighter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. It, you, I don't know. Uh, the, the living Pharaoh, it was kind of a uh, more an obstacle than like an actual roadblock or anything like that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It wasn't like a video game where there's like the final boss. He was just uh, like. No, <laughs> no, he was, he was not the, the stage boss at all. <laughs> he was kind of just like one of the minions along the way too. Yeah, a, yeah, for a sure. tiny bit, tiny bit stronger than a minion. But you know, he's you know walking through the desert here, and all of a sudden, he you know thinks to himself, uh, you know, he says about you know, oh, I've lost my chance to find the scarab, and that goes my sole chance of becoming human. And when he says that word human, he starts to in his you know mind. Uh, harken back to uh, a day when he was younger and his father was still alive when he was still with, uh, you know, his tribe uh, in Africa, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought this was pretty cool to to see a little bit of the, a little bit more of the life of this, this individual before he was, you know, all caught up in the e Egyptian Pharaoh mess that led to where he is now. So it's kind of a, like a, a pre, pre-Encantu uh, uh, 
vignette kind of thing. So that that was cool to see. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and I think the artwork by Val Merrick and Dan Adkins here is fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah, that that splash page where it's like about a two-thirds page where you see a Encantu's father, and he's on this throne made out of like tusks and everything, and there's a shield there, and he's standing there all jacked up with a, a bunch of the other tribesmen in the background. I really, really like that. And I, I have to give it to the colorist for this issue too. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've I've come to to learn that there were there were some limits really to what they could do. I guess limits compared to what they can do today um, with colors and the process and everything like that. I loved seventies and eighties coloring. Uh, I I don't see them as necessarily being problematic. I just accept it and enjoy it and move on, you know, normally, but this one, you don't, you don't have to accept the coloring on this page. I thought it was really good. The shield is, is nice, brightly colored, but not like so extravagantly bright that you, that, that it takes you out of this old African village, you know? So I, I I like that it was a, a particularly the shield, but like you said, the tusks, and and they're bound together so that uh, the king can sit in amongst the tusks there. Just this was just a really captivating um, three quarter panel page here. And or I will say page panel. Sorry. Yeah, and I will say here too. Uh, one of the caption boxes says it has been twenty one summers since Encantu, son of Tachambi, chief of the Swarili, first sang the song of life. So he's twenty one years old at this point. But I didn't ever think about this before. And maybe it's because when I think of the living mummy in my head, I forget that he was, you know, part of this tribe. I always think, well, he was just a mummy. So I guess he was Egyptian. But of course, you know, obviously we knew up until now he wasn't. And this is showing definitely he obviously wasn't. This is showing his his history here. But I'm wondering if the Swarili were anywhere near Wakanda simply because of his father's name, because you have, uh, you know, the Black Panther is T'Challa and his father is T'Chaka. And this chieftain's name, uh, his name is Tachambi. So I thought, oh, it's kind of similar. So I wonder if they were trying to sort of vaguely connect some dots there, or that was just, oh, you know, uh, that's what uh, T'Challa's name is, so we'll make it sound something like that. I'm not sure there. Yeah, r- really, it's hard to say. I mean, I could see both sides of the coin. You know, that uh, mm-hmm. Isabella is familiar with the Black Panther, and so the T apostrophe just is in his mind as far as, uh, ethnic, and I'm throwing up the quotes here, ethnic African names, mm-hmm. or I could see that he was trying to draw some, uh, maybe some dotted lines, let's say, between the Swarili and the Wakandans, uh, perhaps. It, um, we we could ask him, but I don't know that now he would even remember what he was trying to do, uh, <laughs> what, 50 years ago, something like that? Just about, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Four, so. 49 years ago, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, you know, that's that's one of the things that we always want to do with a lot of these creators that are still around now. You know, we want to ask them about the stories, mm-hmm. not necessarily keeping in mind that this was one story that they wrote, you know, 48 years ago. So the chances of them remembering some minutia that you're interested in is going to be pretty remote. But, you know, we a lot of interviews that I hear, they they take the chance and they throw the stuff out there. But more and more, I hear creators say, dog, that was <laughs> that was 48 <laughs> years ago. I have no idea what I was thinking. I, I probably wouldn't even think and write. I was on this and I was smoking that. And I would, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, that just caught my eye. I thought, oh, you know, maybe. So that was it was just something cool to think about for a minute. But I love that 
man, you turn to page six, that very first panel, top corner, page six, where, you know, when I think of a, like a grizzled, like tough warrior, mm-hmm. that, that it's a, it's a panel, all of just, uh, in Contu's father, like on a close up, And he looks like he's a guy that's a guy that's seen some stuff as they say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got the ceremonial, uh, head, head dress on, but yeah, mm-hmm. the face it's like, yeah, that's not a, a young spry kind of face. He's, he's gone through some stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't want to tick him off. He looks like oh, one of those, no. yeah, those, those middle-aged guys that you're like, you wouldn't want to mess with him because he might not be 20 years old, but he's, he, he knows some stuff. So be on your toes. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's definitely the kind of dude that looks one way when he's sitting, but when he stands up, he looks an entirely different way. <laughs> yeah. So he tells, uh, in Contu here, it's, you know, it's, it's time for him to come out. And, uh, I think he basically kind of says like, you know, one day he's going to take over the tribe. So he basically has to prove himself by fighting one-on-one with a lion. And all he has is a knife. And I would not, I'd be like, yeah, no, it's okay. I don't want to leave the tribe. It's, it's all good. I don't want to, I don't want any parts of that. (laughs) Come on, man. How many people did not survive that test? And, and so they lost a warrior of the tribe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, going out one-on-one with a knife, not only to, to hunt and presumably kill the lion, but he has to bring the head back. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Hey, maybe if I was like six, nine and you know, 300 pounds and jacked, I'd feel different about it, but maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I would or not, but we, he does come upon a, a, a male lion and two female lions here. And he basically, uh, calls out to the lion and says, come black mane, let us see who is to die. And there's a really great uh, close-up on page seven there, too, of the lion's face that looks really, really good, really nasty. I, I don't know, but I would say calling out a lion that is protecting his wife and child is probably the nastiest lion that he could have run into to call out, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he gets into it with him here. They're having like a, a fight here, a wrestling match, and back and forth but uh, in the end he does take down this lion which is really wild and he stands over and he says or at least thinks the ritual is over the king of the jungle is slain and you know then we uh, see he's kind of like standing there in a moment thinking to himself and uh, the caption says in seven months Tachambi will die in his sleep and Inkantu will be chief and then I like how it switches then right back to you know modern times and there he is with the wrappings on and he's the living mummy and it says the memory fades too painful to remember for Encantu warrior chieftain is a man no longer. It's, it looks like, you know, a very, very sad moment here. I, I like the, I thought the, the artistic storytelling was really well done with these two juxtaposed panels because you have Encantu when he was a young man and you have Encantu now and, and the, headshots are roughly the same size you know so you can really mm-hmm. do a direct comparison with well what it used to be and you know what poor dude is <laughs> is into currently yeah and i do like how they did you know artistically uh, the left eye when he was you know back killing this lion is in shadow and you see his right eye and it's kind of the same thing with the mummy the mm-hmm. left eye is kind of in shadow or the, the the eye on the left is in shadow and the right one's open like i thought that was pretty neat yeah, now we we haven't seen that anything has happened that he's lost an eye or anything, have we? Mm-mm, no, not oh, at all. Okay, so it, it's just a, a, a artistic, uh, uh, yeah, choice, I guess, just to shadow 
one and then like you said they did the same thing with the other yeah i didn't know if they were trying to tell us you know in in a fight he's lost one of his eyes or or why they chose to do that yeah i'm not sure but it, it was definitely something that, you know, I, I shouldn't say this but i don't know how else to say it caught my eye <laughs> when ah, i was ah, looking ah. at the art oh there. my goodness wait <laughs> dad joke okay <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> and then he just Okay, I'm just gonna wander off now because I gotta find the ruby scarab. And just he <laughs> yeah. just goes wandering off. Right. Yeah. We we had our moment. Zoom into the face. You know, emotion. Okay. Now back off and let him just wander away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what a switcheroo here. What a juxtaposition. Then we go to Castle Grayskull here. What about exactly? This? Yeah. That's <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. This is crazy. Yeah. What about this? So we we switch to the Castle Grayskull. It looks like here, and it's a. You know, on this other world, dimension, whatever you want to call it. And we're back to our buddies, the Elementals. And I will say this, uh, Val Merrick, he likes to draw him some shapely ladies. I'll tell you that. Yes, he does. And not only does he like to draw them shapely, but he does a good job at it. He does. Yeah, this looks, so. this is a really good page here with uh, the four of the Elementals uh, kind of having some back and forth. And the lady, Zephyr. She kind of says, like, don't worry, I'll take care of this. I'm going to go and regain control of the mummy. And there's a panel at the bottom I really like. It looks like something right out of Doctor Strange where she is somehow transporting herself from this world to Earth. And it looks really wild. Um, uh, Yeah. I completely lost my train of thought what I was going to say there. Okay, well, we'll move on. I don't know. I don't know what I was going to say. Yeah, it's a very um, not quite psychedelic, but very energetic panel showing that, Mm -hmm. yeah, she's doing something as far as manipulating some kind of energy. Yeah, because sometimes I feel like her powers were a little bit, you know, ambiguous. She could use wind power and then she was using some kind of mental whammy. And now at first I thought maybe she was you know, a la Doctor Strange, like using her, uh, oh, what do you call it, form to leave her body, astral mm-hmm. form to like, astral, leave her mm-hmm. body. But no, this is like literally, it's her, and we see her flying through space, and then uh, there she is heading towards the continent of Africa. I know what I was going to say. Uh, that panel uh, where where she was very uh, buxom uh, with uh-huh. Magnum and Hellfire and Hydron, it's, it's really... Um, interesting to me that other other than zephyr zephyr is is her entire um half of her body that is is drawn there is is fully realized the other Mm -hmm. three men though are particularly in the face are kind of sketchy but it doesn't it doesn't take away from anything i think in that their face isn't like um intimately drawn or anything like that it adds to the menace that those three men are because you look more at the posture and things like that and not necessarily the the minutia of the faces and so they they seem more powerful i think in that way than if you know every little wrinkle and and everything had been drawn on all three faces now the the one um i guess that's hellfire in the middle his mm-hmm. face is is pretty fully realized there's not much mm-hmm. room left for interpretation there but magnum and hydron which are uh background for those that don't have the book background on the right and left almost like over hydron's shoulder off mm-hmm. to the side a little bit uh, their faces aren't as fully realized but they do not lack menace in the way that they're standing 
um, all three because they're confronting Zephyr. So, of course, they have to, you know, maintain that air of whatever they have over Zephyr at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I, it struck me that it was like, you know, I really can't make out their faces, but I don't need to. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said earlier, the, the Val Merrick and uh, Dan Adkins here, their their visual storytelling in this issue is fantastic because like yeah. you, you can't even really see what kind of facial expressions they have, really. But just the way they're standing there, they look like they're ready to uh, ready to just, just pound the crap out of somebody if they <laughs> the wrong yeah, person walked really. in. And um, this I've noticed this more and more as we have been reading these books, this um, visual storytelling is really unlike anything else going on at Marvel at the time by way of their superhero books. Mm-hmm. But it much more reminds me of what you get if you move over to Warren and pick up their black and white books. Um, oh, yeah. Creepy, eerie, and vampirella. And, and just read those horror stories. Um, even I think that Val Merrick did some of those, didn't he? Was, was I, he one of those artists? I think he he did, yeah. I think he worked uh, okay. over there as well. And then I think he may have done some horror stuff for Skywald as well, like not long after this time. Okay. Yeah, th- there is definitely this um, this sensibility to his. I would love to see these books uh, uncolored just to see what his and mm. Atkins' ink lines, what the line actual lines are like. Although I would say uh, at least my copy of these – they're not suffering from any of that color bleed and and some of these other issues that the no. the color and the paper suffered from back then. So the the colors are very much where they're supposed to be. So I'm still getting a, a very good um, essence of, of the line work. But I, I would definitely love to see these somewhere without the colors just to see what they look like. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. That would be great to see just the line work. Yeah. Okay, so sorry, took took a step back there for a minute. (laughs) No, no, it's all good. So yeah, she's flying through space. Then we switch to uh, across the arid wastes. And we see in the background our buddy Encanto. He's walking through the desert. And there's a bit of an oasis here. And (laughs) there's a guy laying on the ground next to a rock. And he says, for a minute there, I thought he spotted me. But I should have known better. And it's this asp guy. And there's the scarlet scarab right next to him. And it just is a weird looking panel how he's down on like all fours. <laughs> Without the scarab, it's like, yeah, yeah he, if, if he's ducking uh, from the mummy, okay. But what he did is he set the scarab over here to the side and then ducked down be- behind the rock. And I'm like, dog, why did you, why did you put your gem over there to the side? Why, why, why aren't you holding it? You know, most importantly. I throw it in your pocket or something, dude. Something. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So he's there and he picks it up then and he says, nothing could possibly go wrong for me now. Not a guy as lucky as the asp. So this is when I started to kind of figure it out and think to myself, oh, so at the end of last issue, uh, you know, as our buddy Encantu here was uh, slapping around the living pharaoh, they both thought, where's the scarab at? The, the scarlet scarab. And we saw there was someone in the tomb, crypt, whatever, you know, you want to call it, pyramid there, that had picked it up and was running off with it. And we never saw the person's face or whatever as they were running away. But then the scene immediately switched to Dr. Scarab, Ron, and Janice aboard a plane. And I I just assumed that meant they grabbed it and then jumped on a plane. Okay, I I didn't think that, but I didn't know... 
it, it was so disjointed that I wasn't quite sure what was going on because they spoke about going to, I thought, try to find the mummy. And so mm-hmm. if that's what they're looking for, well, they would have just seen him when they stole the, the scarab because he was right there, too. So I didn't figure they took the scarab. Yeah, so this guy is the guy that grabbed it. How he knew what was going on, I don't know if we ever get a really straight answer on that, like how he really figured all this out. But, um, yeah, so (laughs) I was really off there. I don't know why I was thinking it was them, because, yeah, they were, I think, still in New York and Mm -hmm. heading on that plane over to Egypt, because I think, if I remember correctly, it's uh, Dr. Scarab was like, yes, I know the mummy is back in Egypt, so we have to go there. But I don't know right. why. Some why my brain. I was thinking they got the scarab. He scarab got one of those like I am connected to the mummy mind flashes, and and mm-hmm. supposedly knew that he was in Egypt, and uh, yeah. they were still looking for him. I guess I'm not. I'm not necessarily sure why they still have to find him, really. But yeah, so that was I. I do remember that. But yeah, uh, um, you're you're right. It, it was very uh, disjointed. It seemed like almost like. There, there's a page or two that they didn't print here, you know, some mm-hmm. some kind of connecting something. But yeah, n- now we see that. Oh, okay, so it was just dude who took it. Then they jumped to Scarab and and the rest of the crew, and yeah. So yeah, like I said, disjointed is a good word for it because now all of a sudden too, and I don't know if this is a fault of you know Len Wein who scripted or Tony Isabella and Dan, uh, Val Merrick that plotted or the letterer. But here's why I was getting really confused. So this guy. That looks like he's on safari, just pops out of the bushes <laughs> and and the asp, you know, pulls his pistol out like he's going to shoot the guy. And the guy says and he says, cripes, old Dan, as in two different words here, like he's describing this guy as old and his first name is Dan, old mm-hmm. Dan. Sneak up on me like that is one way to get yourself dead. And the guy's like, what's the matter, asp? Nervous? I thought you had this caper planned down to the last detail. And then on the next pa- uh, panel, he says, but I do. And old Dan is all one word. Right. Like it's thinking, like his last name, Olden. Yeah. So, and I think like when you look at like all the sites for information about these issues, that's what they say. That, that this, I don't know if they even say a first name, but they that's what they called this guy is O-L-D-D-A-N, Olden. But then now I don't want to jump ahead too far, but it's either later this issue or the next issue. Uh, it's spelled D-E-N, O-L-D-D-E-N. So I'm right, just like, yeah, I give so, up. <laughs> yeah, no, don't don't try to figure it out. Just just roll with it. It's it's changing too much. Yeah, he's Safari guy. That's who he is. Uh, and then, yep. again, I, I don't want to pick on the artwork. Again, we said it's gorgeous. But that panel where the, I was just talking about him saying Old Dan or Olden, it looks like somebody different has the scarab and they're holding it up in front of the two of them. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a third because <laughs> it's like, well, how is he holding? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the arm placement is just a little weird for one of them to for it to be one of their arms. It's just a little off there again. Sorry, sorry to nitpick, you know, Val Merrick, you're, you're awesome. I love you, man. Well, That's great. It, it's not it's not your fault. That hand it's, holding the scarab is in the center of the frame. I mean, it's like you, you can't not see it. And then yes. you look to either side and you're like, OK, who who's holding that up? Is it? You're you're almost sitting there, you know, with your hand. You're like, let's see if he's holding it. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's not your fault. They <laughs> stuck it right there in the middle so that you would see it. And it almost looks like it has to be a left hand as well because the thumb is on the <laughs> right there. The thumb. And I'm thinking, <laughs> man, if that is the asp's uh, uh, left <laughs> arm 
How is he contorting it? Like, I don't know. I give up. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Now, now, okay. You go to this next panel, which is like a half page. And this looks like incredible artwork. So you go from the yes. goofy arm there. And this is like, we have the asp here. And he is telling his buddy, uh, safari guy, um, he says, have a little confidence. We know that archaeologist Dr. Scarab and his assistants are flying to Cairo at this very moment, and they'll be willing to pay a bundle to gain possession of this gem. Then once they've paid us, we'll steal it back from them and sell it to another sucker and you know, sell it to as many other suckers as we can drum up. The deal's simple and lucrative. What's the problem? But that panel visually is incredible. You have the asp, right, like up front or like almost like in a ghost-like and then them on the right. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a lot of um, additional, like, time elements in that one panel, because you have mm -hmm. Asp talking, and then you see the, the mummy crew, but then you also see an airplane, so you're like, oh, yeah, that's right, they were on the airplane traveling somewhere, uh, theoretically, at the same time that Asp is talking to us, and, and it's just, yeah, it's a very... Um, to to use a phrase from a, a another IP, uh, it's very timey wimey almost to me. <laughs> yeah, and the, like you said, the colorists too. The colors here are very interesting, but I think very effective choices. Where you have the asp, he's like blue, and the background behind him is blue. And then you know you have Ron and Janice and Doctor Scarab, and there's a little bit of the bleed over in the blue there. But then you can clearly see Ron's yellow shirt. And then the plane is like a pink background. Like it, this is really, to me, a really, really impressive panel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder um, having, you know, if you just received this as the colorist um, and all of this was just black and white line art, they had to have discussed what Merrick was trying to do here in order to know how to, to color it the way that it turned out. Because Otherwise, it, it would have been like very jumbled, I would think, if it was just a line art. The yeah. color really goes a long way to separate, but not like um, not like to, to isolate separate, really, but more to like highlight in a certain way certain aspects of the drawing so that you see them as as different parts of the one whole collective drawing. Yeah, like you said, different. It, it does a great job of showing these three different elements of time, because obviously Scarab, Ron, and Janice aren't on the plane because they're not sitting in plane seats. So this is like earlier than that, and then the plane is a different time. So yeah, this is this is really really good. Yeah, it was. I definitely I think there had to be some uh, talking between all of the artists as to you know what are we trying to do with this panel, and and here is the best way to do it, I think. And I, I could see them kind of hashing it out. You know, well, how about if we do this and put that here and color it this way? You know, so mm -hmm. it turned out really, really well. This may be the first time um, in these issues that I look at this and I'm like, um, yeah, the black and white line work might have been cool, but I really think it did better after it was colored. Yeah, and I love there's a lot of cross hatching on that page too. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, the safari guy says he's got a bit of a, a bad feeling here. Like his intuition's kicking in. Like something's not gonna, you know, go well here for them. And the asp says, "I think you're just letting that character in the mummy outfit spook you, pal." And the guy says, "Yeah, maybe that's it. What's bothering me, asp? I mean, you got a closer look at that guy than I did, but 
are you sure he was wearing a costume? <laughs> ah, so that's what it is. Oh, no, that's just a dude in a suit. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And then there's a Boris Karloff reference here, which is uh, totally awesome, which I love. Um, and yep. then we see our buddy uh, coming through the uh, desert here. And he looks pretty menacing in that uh, panel there on the left on uh, page. Uh, I think that's page 16 there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really. uh, the the different colored um, sky and the ground almost makes you think that it's not like necessarily full day. Maybe it's early in the morning when the light is kind of off, or maybe it's late in the evening again, you know, when the light is kind of off. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do photographers, they, they call it like the golden hour or something like that? Yeah. Certain times of the, the day and the evening when the light is at a certain um, kind of light. And yeah, it, it definitely... Needless to say, it's it's very striking art, uh, it's a very striking panel for sure. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we see this explosion and a uh, great sound effect, whoomp. <laughs> and then uh, we see a, a woman, it looks like probably running through the desert. And now we have our tie-in to the cover, which I really enjoy this quite a bit. How about you? Yeah, I, I have questions about the setup, but okay, I, I just, I'm like... At, at this point in time, would there really have been this situation? I mean, you know, or, or were they stretching things to, like, make a point or stretching things to make a story? Or it just, I don't know, it, it just kind of struck me as odd. I, I'm not all that familiar with the 70s Middle Eastern politics. Uh, first mm-hmm. of all, let me <laughs> let me throw that out there. So. <laughs> yes, that's not a... Uh, I have no expertise in that area at all. I I think to myself, maybe they just went with it because uh, it seems like there has been conflict in, in that area of the world for thousands of years. So why not just throw it out there? <laughs> sure. I, I, you know, I, yeah, I definitely maybe know that. that there were issues going on at the time, but it's like, yeah. would, would those issues have boiled into, you know, this kind of situation? I, I, I don't know if, and if anybody out there does know, I'm sure somebody does. Yeah, um, chime in, you know, please. Yeah, dro- drop a line somewhere and let us know about the the plausibility of of what we're about to, uh, you know, talk about in a little bit more detail here, and let us know if if yeah things were this way and and it could have happened at that time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, this there's there's a tank chasing this uh, woman down, and it actually blasts a shell pretty close to her. So I think she'd either be unconscious or dead uh, from the shrapnel, but she survived somehow, right? Yeah, I, I would think she, <laughs> she may have been jellied there on the inside as close as that is. You know, she she might have been uh, still, you know, all all in one piece. But yeah, I don't know about the, the workings of the insides if, if they had been, you know, if it would have been too good anymore. Yeah, her foot literally looks like it's maybe six it, inches from uh, the explosion. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> that looks like about where the shell hit was. Yeah, right about where her foot was, and um, but yeah, like like you said, this is this is what struck me. This is a female, which I know is possible, uh, Israeli soldier, mm-hmm. uh, running through the desert by herself. First of all, and and for the rest of the story, she never encounters any help. So it's not like she's part of a group and they're looking for her. They just haven't caught up with her yet. Um, so she's running out here in the desert by herself, being chased by a tank that um, I believe you said in the summary, um, they said was an Egyptian tank. 
<laughs> yeah, I, that's that's what I, I said. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I didn't get. I, I mean, I guess because of where the story has been taking place, and you know the fact that it's uh, a mummy and pharaohs, and so you know that is connected to Egypt. Well, there must still be in the Egyptian desert, and th- but now there is a reference, and I I believe it is safe to say that the the men in the tank are Muslim. Um, but how necessarily we're supposed to have understood, unless I just missed something pretty obvious, that they're Egyptians. Um, and again, I know that at this time that things between Israel and Egypt, several other countries in the area, uh, at, at, at this time, I mean, when the, when the comic came out, you know, they, they weren't the, the warmest. Uh, you know, they were kind of frosty here between everybody, but it's like, would an Egyptian tank have been running around the Egyptian desert chasing Israeli soldiers? So. Yeah, are there were there a lot of Israeli soldiers running around the Egyptian yeah, uh, desert? I, you know, probably I, not. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's just this, you know, one part of Egypt. Maybe that tells us that this is occurring in a specific part of Egypt, near. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even think that Israel borders on Egypt, really. I, yeah. So see, here, here we go. I'm just like lost with that kind of stuff because I just I don't I don't see that as as possible but again i I totally could be completely wrong here because yeah egypt cairo all the way up that way like yeah i mean it's not far from israel but it's kind of like across a little bit more from there i don't know again this is just i guess this is just these guys indulging themselves with uh you know (laughs) what they what they wanted to do for this comic not really putting anything out there that was even sort of factual (laughs) oh yeah definitely there there is no no yeah. doubt that I could be overthinking it. And looking it up here real quick, it, it does look like Israel borders Egypt. So yeah, it's not too far. Yeah, I guess I'm just a goober for not really realizing that. Um, and I, th- this is the point where in my um, recording history, I say that I am a geography major. Uh, I have a degree <laughs> uh, in a little folder that says I was actually a, a graduated with a geography degree. So I, I guess I missed uh, there somewhere by not knowing that Israel and Egypt do actually share a border. So for all you uh, geographists out there, I, I apologize for letting you down. Yeah, you missed uh, Middle Eastern Day, I guess. It, I, uh, yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I, I didn't take uh, <laughs> Mid- Middle East 101, I guess, to get my degree. I, I took something else. Well, I like after that explosion panel, again, another wump sound effect. Uh, we see the tank guy uh, with the, like you said, like a 50 caliber on top going, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. And there, there's the woman, and then there's the mummy, like all tiny in the background. And I really like that. <laughs> yeah, it, interesting just um, combination of, of things uh, coming into the same place here. The mummy, who is just wandering around, right, as far as we know, yeah, uh, happens to wander into the line of sight of a tank that is chasing a lone <laughs> individual through the desert, taking pot shots at her, trying to kill her uh, with the tank itself, with the with the big main gun, not the mounted machine gun, which you would think, well, you probably would have a better chance of being, you know, more yeah. surgical in your in your shooting. No, they're trying to kill her by firing the main tank gun at her. Um, in the middle, again, in the middle of nowhere. This is this is nothing. They're just in the desert, you know, and so all of these elements, all of these uh, storylines, all are coming together right here in the in the same, you know, I don't know, half a mile square 
of this huge desert in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and oh then God. I the the cat yeah, there's a caption box on the bottom panel on the left that says, and the living mummy lumbers forward, gnarled hands outstretched to help the young woman to her feet. But then this is what he thinks to himself. This is a warrior of my strange new world. Then I weep. Well, why do you weep? What did what? she what what do you mean you weep? Why are you weeping for? Just because a tank almost killed her? Oh yeah, look at the big gun she just avoided, man. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, and then he but then he changes his tune when he sees uh she's a uh, woman and he says, She is so young, so lovely, with so much to live for. <laughs> so I'm like do wow. you think that's why he's weeping? Because it's it's a shame that someone in in the second text box position is in the position of the first text box? Do you think that's why he's weeping? Yeah, I'm not sure. I just thought that was kind of weird. Like, what are you weeping about, dude? And I'm like, then he sees it's a woman and she's young and lovely. I'm like, oh boy. And she turns around and looks at him, which again, <laughs> I can't even imagine being in the desert. It's probably like 120 degrees over there. You're getting shot at by a, a cannon here on a, you know, a, a tank. And these dudes are chasing you. I'd probably think I was tripping out from just, you know, heat exhaustion. And she sees our buddy here, right? <laughs> yeah, right. First of all, there's not going to be anybody out there to help her that she was expecting, right? But the the mm -hmm. one person that does help, she looks up and she sees a mummy, which I'm sure we can all imagine, you know, what would be going through our head at that particular moment. Mm -hmm. The caption box reads, then the girl looks up, sees the misshapen bandage, wrapped hands reaching towards her, dripping the dirt and decay of more than 3,000 years, and where... And were Rasha, Rasha, Meyer, Mayer, not a soldier in her country's proud army, she would scream. <laughs> That's right. a good, good uh, up close of her and then the mummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, I, I like how Merrick is juxtaposing face shots. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is like the, at least the second that I've mentioned, but I think there was another one or maybe two uh, instances in this story where he has done that as as part of his storytelling. And I, I really enjoy that aspect. Yeah. And then she, of course, picks up her uh, weapon here and points it at him like, what's going on? And, you know, she doesn't know what this thing is or what it's going to do or it's going to help. Is it an enemy? Is it a friendly? And in this moment of, you know, non-clarity, our boys here in the tank are like, uh, let's shoot them. And the guy says, we fired our last cannon shell. So they're having so much fun trying to use the cannon to shoot her. They ran out of shells. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he gets a uh, he gets to the machine gun and says, uh, what good are small arms against a creature such as that? And the other guy says, by Allah, if that thing is truly one of the timeless dead, which I doubt a 50 caliber machine gun will return it to the ground as well as anything else. And he opens fire and the mummy just stands there like this isn't hurting me. And it's like bouncing off of him the bullets and mm -hmm. uh the soldier's like well i'm gonna just uh jump in behind you here so no strays hit me <laughs> good idea i mean she doesn't know what in the world it is but she sees that wow this 50 cal's not taking it out so i'll hide here yeah and i like how he kind of turns and looks at her diving behind him like where are you going <laughs> yep he says the girl desires my hideous new body as a shield then so be it i have little enough else to offer <laughs> Yeah. Wow. How, how very magnanimous of you. Yeah. Yeah. Here, I'll I'll throw myself under the bus for you. You you go ahead and hide. A self-deprecating mummy. Just what yeah. we always needed. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they blast and blast and blast and nothing happens. And then here's where we kind of get the scene from the uh, cover, right? Where she's hiding mm -hmm. and she's like, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> yeah. And and you're right. I, I don't know that uh, we we have ever 
seen, you know, I've watched training videos for different things, and I don't believe I've ever seen anybody trained to pull the pin on a grenade with their mouth. I think you might lose your teeth. Uh, I, I could be wrong, but I think you might lose a tooth doing that. Yeah, if if that's how you're, yeah. Anyways, but yeah, that's what <laughs> we see her do that in one panel and then uh, fling the grenade in the other. So like this, um, the one panel where she's behind the mummy, the tank shooting at the mummy with the with the 50 cal, um, the mm-hmm. bullets being blocked. She's got the grenade, pulls the pin with her mouth. This panel is like just a different uh, angle point of view from exactly what the cover is showing us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I love it. And it, uh, as she throws it, it's uh, when the uh, other part there, I'm sorry, I don't know what the name of that part is. That's the other part of the green that when you pull the pin, it flicks off. It says, not Wolverine snicked, but snacked. And snacked, then, yeah. Um, <laughs> let's, I, maybe that's called the spoon. Could be. I'm, I'm not. I'm not up on grenades. Uh, yeah, I'm. Way. I'm not either. That, yeah, the, the jargon there. Yeah, it's hissing and going hiss on its way there. And okay, this is great too. So again, we're we're going from like you know seven, eight, nine panel grid of this action, which is totally fine and cool and looked great. You turn the page to twenty six, and we see a full page uh, splash here of Warub and the uh, tank exploding here. Why don't you uh, speak on this? Yeah, that that is very, uh, very kinetic. Um, You've got the. Oh, man. Okay, Uh, in the foreground, you've got the Israeli soldier, of course, still hiding behind the mummy. Uh, Mm -hmm. And actually, he is standing there like he is protecting her as well, because his his arms are spread out and his legs are a little spread out, too, like he's uh, trying to take up a lot of space to give her a lot of, of area to to be shielded in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in in the as we're looking we're looking from behind her and behind the mummy of course so in the background of the picture is the tank um the turret itself has been completely blown off of the <laughs> body of the tank and we can see that there's separation mm-hmm. yeah. uh, there's exploding lines from the body that you you can imagine are pushing the turret off of the tank on above the turret, we see that the 50 cal and probably the guy that was arming it have also been blown apart. Uh, the dude into probably a couple pieces that I can see, maybe more if you use your imagination. Yeah. Uh, the 50 cal has been blown completely off the turret. And then above all of that is the, the sound of the explosion, BWA-RA-RA. R-O-O-M. And those last four are in a slightly different vibratory font, like it's a much more powerful sound for that last part of the mm-hmm. uh, of the, the noise. Um, energy being expelled everywhere for the rest of the panel to the, the top of the panel. And then at the top, we have a couple uh, narrator bars, you know, telling us, which isn't at all necessary, uh, telling us what we're seeing here. But very... Um, and again, if, if I can borrow a dad joke, very explosive panel here. Yeah, it is like top notch. This is this is a page that if it was for sale and I could afford it, I would try to buy this. Oh, man. In black in, in just inked uh, pen and inked this. Oh, mm. it would be awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. And again, this did very, very much remind me of a DC war book where you would see things like this on the regular. I don't have a ton of DC war books, but I have enough and have seen enough that. Again, you you would see stuff like this on the regular, and I thought, 
So this is really good away for Marvel, man. They're infusing, you know, like a horror book with, you know, like a war book right here, right? Yeah, and and it's it's very much of a style, like I said earlier, that is not what you're seeing in Iron Man and Captain America and the Hulk and those books. You know, this is a a very different sensibility for the artwork, and uh, it, it's it's one that I think a lot of people enjoy. Horror people would like this. War people would dig this, I think. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a good uh, a good different kind of art than what the superheroes um, are. And it's, and it's being used very effectively. Yeah. And again, now when you get to the last page here, 27, this, you got to give kudos to not only Tony Isabella with the the writing, or I'm sorry, I guess this was Len Wein scripting, but a, a co-plot by Isabella and uh, Valmera co-plot. And of course the artwork here, we see a dichotomy here, you know, where, uh, this uh, Israeli soldier is standing in front of this tank that was, you know, that she, you know, basically took out with a little assist from our buddy in Kantu here that, you know, it's it's like something she triumphed over. And the panels are split in a way that the mummy's head and face are like cut in half, like his profile, where half of his face is on that page and the other half of his head and face and neck and everything is on the other panel where it shows, you know, kind of the the, the earlier uh where the other scene where he was, you know, uh, killing that lion to become, you know, good enough to be chieftain after his father. Right. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's very effectively showing that, in essence, he's at it, he's in two different places at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. He's very present. Right. With the Israeli girl in the yeah. tank in the Egyptian desert. But and you could almost say in his mind, because. That part of him is what's in that panel, his head, not his face, his head, his mind, thinking back to when he beat his lion. So, yeah, they're they're drawing those parallels with in order to become that person, how, mm-hmm. you know, however you want to describe it, you have to you have to win big. You know, you have to defeat something great, potentially greater than you. Well, she eh, with a little bit of an assist just beat this tank, which, of course, one person beating a tank is is almost impossible. I mean, that's you know that's just <laughs> unheard of. But then juxtapose him beating the lion uh, to show his prowess, um, and then the the common factor is in Kentu. He was obviously present in one, uh, but now he's been present in the other. So he is the he is the connecting tissue between these two scenes of. Uh, a lone individual uh, with with great triumph, and and yeah, it was this this also I think minus the coloring, these two panels just on one piece of paper would make an excellent uh, black and white original piece of artwork to have. Yeah, and I mean the the part where his you know face is with the soldier in the tank, his eye is like really really opened, mm-hmm. like like wide and. I just thought this was really, really, you know, high quality stuff. Again, you, you're just if you would tell somebody, hey, there was this comic from, you know, 1974 about a mummy and there was a tank and there was a soldier. People would probably think, what are you talking about? Like, if yeah, you, if you wrote this out in a paragraph, but the visuals and the script and these, you know, caption boxes and everything put together in a blender. It's it's really, really high, to- high, high, to- like, yeah, high quality stuff here. I I agree completely. Uh, it it un, unfortunately, you know, this uh, these people working together on this only occurred for a very short period of time. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it it's very 
um, very, very top notch for what mm-hmm. is going to be out there at the time. This, this I think would hold itself with some of the best artwork from any of the companies out right now, right now being when this came out. Uh, technique, uh, storytelling, particularly visual storytelling. It's really, he really, Merrick had a big hand in the the storytelling, so much so that even in the credits, he's given a co-plot uh, yeah. uh, assignment or whatever you want to call that. So obviously he did something. But then when you read the story, you see, oh, yeah, the way that this art uh, gets across this part of the story or even relays the entire story for that period of time that you're looking at those panels. He he did an excellent, excellent job of of relaying to us, you know, what he may have just gotten as a bunch of words and he put into these these visual lines and and it he did an excellent job yeah and i mean it's only seven panels but this last page man a lot of pathos here and then (laughs) the mummy just starts to wander away and uh, the woman says no please wait i want to thank you and she says i don't know who or what you are but you've saved my life and helped to prove something very important to me and that panel in the middle there just shows them in silhouette uh, Mm -hmm. you know shaking hands basically so again not you know, it isn't something that was probably incredibly hard for Merrick to draw, but less is kind of more in that middle panel there. And she says, I don't know where you came from or where you are bound, but I pray you go in peace. Shalom, my mysterious friend. Shalom. And it shows him turning away. And he looks really pissed off. So I don't know if he's just pissed off because he's, you know, wanted to still try to become a man and not, you know, this mummy and it's not going well for him or what. But he uh, then shambles off by himself, right? Yep. Just like he has been doing he wanders into something and then just wanders out mm-hmm. so yeah that's it and then next the sting of the asp so overall what did you think of this issue pretty pretty strong pretty fun yeah excellent story uh excellent art um how it necessarily relates to Encantu's overall story i you know maybe there's a lot of debate there mm-hmm. um the the beginning part is is very uh, poignant because it shows the early years of Encantu. So, okay. But after that, all of this with the, the soldier in the desert and everything, does it add to him? Maybe, I guess, to show that he is still that man inside all of the, the wrappings 3,000 years later? Mm-hmm. Okay, I could see that. Um, you could have done that, I think, any number of ways. So I thought this was an interesting choice the lone soldier versus a tank with the help of the mummy. Mm, I'm, I'm not sure that's what I would have thought of, but you know, okay. <laughs> that's, you know, you, you got your point across, you added some to Nkantu's story. You had a book that was entertaining throughout, you know, that, that somebody definitely would have read the entire story. Um, so I, I suppose, you know, their job was done um, in that, that aspect, that job that they did do, however you may feel about it i thought that they did really really well yeah it might have been a roundabout way of you know uh giving some more character development to the mummy here but yeah it was it, it all worked out in the end and yeah i thought it was a lot a lot of fun and there was a little uh tiny three page uh backup here called flying saucer it's a golden age story and there's not really much in the credits and it's just kind of one of those kooky you know weird kind of 
50s sci-fi stories that has like a crazy ironic ending to it. But yeah, I mean, it was okay. And it's tough finding credits for it other than Jack Abel inks. There's really not a whole lot that you can find. You can't find a scripter, pencils and all, or just like kind of nobody really knows. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Somebody in the bullpen just threw this together and, and uh, submitted it and they just printed it up and whatever. Like I'm sure it was done a lot uh, back when this story was done. They just got together. Uh, they needed an X, you know, page story. They collaborated and put it together and then just put it out there. Yeah, up until now, I think most of these backups were Ditko, you know, Lee and Ditko mm. kind of things. Yeah. yeah. But not this one. This one was something uh, a little different. But all right. Well, if you are ready, we could move on to number 11. Yes, sir. All right. So this one was cover dated February 1975. And we have, oh, I, I'm bowing right now. You can't see me, but I'm bowing right now. Frank Runner cover. He is uh, one of my favorite artists of all time. He's my favorite Doctor Strange artist of all time. So uh, he did the pencils and inks and colors Glynis Oliver or Glynis Ween then for a time. And uh, what do you think of this one? This is a really, really good cover. First, I did, I did pick up there the, the slight nuance of, I believe, genuflecting is the word. Isn't that the word for when you bow? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, we, yep. we did hear that. So that will be on the recording. We we heard those <laughs> knees pop. That that was the big part of it. It's, yeah. Now I can't um, get up. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. We're, we're just talking. So you can just lay there on the floor. It's cool. No, no problems. Um, still, like you said, that that living mummy logo is it's just very distinctive. Um, the living just looks like a, a you know, a filled in font with a particular color what whatever color they're using but the word mummy is uh, i don't know it's it's almost like a a magical or a it, it's hard to describe but it's very different from the words the living now mm -hmm. i will say at the very top it says supernatural thrillers featuring and absolutely no no frills font I, there's nothing <laughs> yeah. you know really outstanding about that but the, the living mummy. And then, yeah, the word mummy, it's just the left hand lobe of the M is coming up even with the word the. And then the right hand lobe of the Y for mummy is doing the same thing, almost like like tendrils or something like that mm -hmm. on the word mummy. It's just it's a very spooky uh, mm -hmm. I don't, you know, it's it's hard to describe what it looks like other than it it looks like something. You know, they're doing something to elevate the word mummy and maybe in the process give you a, an idea of what the character is about just from the logo. Now, if that's not enough, over here to the left-hand side, you mm. you have this movie headshot of the mummy's face. Yeah. This very much looks like uh the the shot of the mummy from the movie that you mentioned several episodes ago mm -hmm. um with the one eye obscured and the other eye open but like a, a beady kind of eye open uh yeah. you can see the mouth but it's not necessarily overly distinguished you can just see where it should be very uh puts me in mind of a shot from a a movie serial or maybe a serial but a, a movie mm -hmm. yeah Oh, very much so. Yeah, it looks very Karloff to me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Boris Karloff. Yeah. Um, now, the rest of it, the, the mummy is, um, yeah, I guess you could say it is a mummy. Uh, but obviously, he's running around here on fire. And, mm -hmm. you know, so, of course, 
I immediately wondered, ooh, you know, is is that the mummy's weakness is fire because of what all he's made of and 3,000 years old and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. With these two characters that uh, I recognize the Asp, maybe I didn't necessarily recognize the other dude, but knowing that this is Asp on the one side, the assumption would be that this was the other dude on the other side. So Safari guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look I, like him, though. <laughs> no, not. And <laughs> let, let's say that's because of the direct light being given off from the burning mummy. And we'll just mm-hmm. leave it at that. We we missed it because he's in bright light and maybe that messed up our eyeball there. But yeah. uh, very, very dynamic. You know, ooh, something is going on. The mummy is burning. Um, this cover also very directly ties into a scene that we will see later on in the story itself inside the mm-hmm. book. So I, I just I really appreciate that there was enough communication that whomever was given the assignment to draw the cover was told something about inside the book, the story. Yeah, like you said, other than, you know, the the safari guy not looking like the safari guy from the previous issue. Other than that, I have gotten no complaints about this because, again, like you said, it's something that does happen in the book. And Brunner, I don't know, there's just something just a little bit more dynamic about his covers in in, in overall and especially in detail, like the wrappings on the mummy. There's this yeah. detail, the smash door, the clothing on the asp, especially the guy in the background is a little more obscured, but the flames coming off of the mummy. Oh, it's just, it's an incredible cover. He, again, I, I'm bowing. <laughs> oh yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. This is, this is definitely a work of art. Uh, you can even see why the mummy is on fire because the flames trail down to a lantern that has been dropped and broken. And so you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well then that's what happened. Somebody was carrying a lantern or, or perhaps they threw it at the mummy, right? And it burst in front of him and set him on fire. Yep. Yep, absolutely. You know exactly what's going on here. There's no, uh, well, I can't figure this quite much, you know, what's going on yeah. here. But there are there are a couple of little blurbs. One says, when strikes the asp, even an immortal must fall. And it, it, those those uh, boxes sound very menacing, but I feel like it should say, the asp craps his pants, and so does his friend. Because the two of them look like, even though the mummy's on fire and looks like it might be in very much danger, they're they're going to need to check their underwear. Yeah, it certainly by this doesn't look like they did anything. It looks like (laughs) they have like come up on a scene or something like that. And they're very surprised by it. Yeah, they look like there's they don't like they don't look like they just struck struck or strike to me. (laughs) No, no, they they were not winning whatever was going on here. That's not how they look. (laughs) No, not at all. But uh, all right. Well, why don't we jump in here? So this is the Asps big score. And this is a. Script, Tony Isabella, and again, co-plotted along with Val Merrick. And then pencils and inks, Val Merrick, so wholesale artwork him by him. Colors by Bill Mantlo, and letters by Alan Kupperberg. So, wow, think of that murderer's row here. Isabella, Merrick, Mantlo, and Kupperberg. Pretty yeah, pretty good. No doubt. Did did Kupperberg do a whole lot of lettering? I thought I, I knew him more for, like, writing. Yeah, no, I don't think he did, but I think, you know, maybe when he was starting out, it was, hey, you got to do something to pay the bills. And uh, they were like, hey, oh, hey, pal, you think you're a writer and an artist? How about you just uh, letter this for now? Right, yeah, whatever <laughs> it takes to to get get some work. Yeah, I, I got that. 
Yeah, I interviewed a guy. Uh, he didn't do a ton of comics work, but he, he did a decent bit. Stephen Grant is his name. I don't know if you know yeah. him. He did some, yeah, yeah, he did some Punisher work, yeah. Mm-hmm. He did some stuff in the Bronze Age, and I remember specifically asking him why he wrote a specific story. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Omega the Unknown. Yeah. But that was a Steve Gerber creation. And right, right. Right, right, that series ended very abruptly with issue 10, and it said at the end of issue 10, you know, we'll we'll find out the conclusion to Omega the Unknown and his story in an issue of The Defenders. And it took a while for that issue to come out or that story be in the issue of The Defenders. And he had told me the reason why was because, you know, Steve Gerber started having some legal battles with Marvel over Howard the Duck. And nobody else uh, felt that they could finish oh. off that story. Okay. So I guess Marvel said, Hey, do you want to do it, Tony? No. Hey, do you want to do it, you know, Jerry Comet? No. Nobody wanted to do it because they didn't want to follow trying to finish up that story and follow Steve Gerber. And Stephen Grant told me, hey, they asked me, and I was like, sure, I'll do it because I needed to eat, you know? <laughs> right. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is, you know, so early in uh, Alan Cumberbatch's career, maybe he was just like, <laughs> I got to pay the rent somehow, man. Give me that lettering job. <laughs> yep. He's standing there with his hand out, and they give him a lettering assignment. Yep, it's like, yeah, I'd I'd love to be a writer or an artist as well, but if you're going to let me color or letter or something, and that's going to get me a check so I can actually eat, uh, bring it on. (laughs) Yep. So I'm thinking that maybe is what happened there, but all right. So yeah, this one, uh, the synopsis just says, Zephyr finds the mummy and restores him to health. The two then seek out the Asp and Miles Oldan for the Scarlet Scarab. Yeah, so that's, you know, like I said, that's our buddy Safari guy, but okay. So why don't we uh, dive right in here again? Oh, man, this splash page is something else. So, again, we have Val Merrick, and, again, this is pencils and inks by him. And, again, the colorist, again, Bill Mantlo, deserves a lot of credit here as well. But, boy, I would like to see the line work for this one as well. Why don't you describe this splash page? Oh, man, yeah. Um, the when, when you first open the book, the thing that's really going to grab you is the head of the mummy mm-hmm. that is probably uh, almost half, maybe about 40% of the panel top to bottom, right in the middle of the panel. Uh, There's narrator text above and to the left and above to the right. And on the right-hand side in large font is the story title, The Asp's Big Score. All of that takes up about half of the page. Then the rest of the page is Asp and Safari Dude in some, you know, really bare bones kind of room. Uh, It's, it's, Strikes me as as very um, old thirties desert or tropical islandy kind of sparsely decorated room. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very poor. There's a bare bulb over here on the on the <laughs> one side illuminating the room. The asp is holding up in in a really weird way. I think uh, the <laughs> yes sc- the scarlet scarab, you know, and and he's talking about it to Olden, to Safari Dude. Uh, There it is, Olden, the big shape, excuse me, the bug-shaped hunk of jewel that's going to get us more money than we've ever imagined. And he's standing there holding it. Uh, Olden is standing next to him, almost, looks like it's, he's almost clasping his arm out of, Mm -hmm. out of some kind of fear emotion. <laughs> and he says, if the mummy doesn't get us first. So I guess that's what it is. He's grasping his arm because he's, he's frightened. Um, but just, just very sparsely decorated, sparsely furnished room. 
mm-hmm. with these two men. They're they're fully clothed, like they just came into the room from, you know, they they just got there. Like let's say they've they've paid for the room for the night or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's holding the um, asp is is holding the scarab up, and they're examining it, almost talking about it. Um, oh, what what's his name? Um, asp. The, the, the safari the, man. <laughs> um, the actor, um, Bogart, Humphrey Bogart. This, this, oh yeah. Something about this just puts me very much in a old Humphrey Bogart movie kind of frame. Um, mm-hmm. I have no idea why. Maybe it's the, uh, the, the one where he was the, the boat captain or, or but just somewhere I'm like, yeah. one of these two dudes is bogey. Probably the dude with the hat. I, I don't mm-hmm. know why. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This this does give you like a, you know, Maltese Falcon, Casablanca kind of vibe. Yep. Yeah, kind of like a Adobe Walls or something like that. You know, just a, a mm-hmm. yeah. It really, um, which, which is interesting because I don't necessarily know a whole lot about these things that I'm I'm trying to to speak on, but apparently I know enough about them or have seen them enough that this image is evocative of something that I have seen in the past and I'm trying to, you know, dig up what it is. So that I, I think that means that the artwork has done a, a pretty good job getting some kind of emotion out of me. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was drawn this way. I mean the room to show that these guys were on some hard times or that, you know, that's a, they're in a seedier kind of joint or, you know, or what's going on, or maybe, you know, a little bit of both of those things. But yeah, it's really neat. Like you said, other than the way the asp is holding the scarab and <laughs> uh, that looks a little wonky the way he has his wrist turned like that other than that and then it looks like the pull chain for the light isn't at the socket it looks like it's in the bulb yeah it's coming <laughs> out of the middle of the bulb almost. yeah but other than that this is fantastic and it all comes down to that mummy's head that's you know it's in the background but it's like the biggest scariest you yeah know, it's, it's the right focal there. point of the page yep I, I love it. <laughs> really gives you feelings that no matter what this, it, that no matter where these men are, or what they're doing, they're still quote unquote in the mummy's sight. It is kind of what how that feels to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know, again, we get the the two of them just having a little conversation here, and they do you know flesh out a safari guy here a little bit and show that uh, he's into artwork and stuff like that, and. I, I do like, too, how uh, they use the word cripes, and they spell it with a K for some bizarre reason here. I always thought it was with a C, but, hey, maybe I could be wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was with a C, too, but, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they say about, you know, the run-in with stealing the scarab from uh, the living pharaoh, and uh, our buddy here, Safari Guy, says, I read in the papers the cops picked him up, which means the living mummy. Stark raving mad, and the mummy, he's been cited all over Cairo. He's looking for us, Asp. And the Asp says, come off it, old Dan. What chance has that character got finding us in a city of three and a half million people? Well, of course, you know what's going to happen next, right? Yeah, really. (laughs) Nice setup, guys. (laughs) He comes crashing right through the door. And again, here's here's our scene uh, here in the the next page, right? Coming up to uh, reflect the cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this, um, interesting... uh, occupation here by old dan that i'll mention here in a minute but um mm-hmm. full page full page panel uh the mummy just comes obliterating through the wooden door hitting the door so hard that it has to have shook the building because 
the light bulb is swinging to and fro <laughs> because of the force of the blow. So it wasn't just the door that suffered. The whole building must have moved in order to jostle the um, light bulb, unless for some reason the light bulb is attached to the door somehow. I don't think that would be the case. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then here you've got um, Asp holding the Scarlet Scarab, which we can still see, fortunately. He didn't lay it down and hide like he did in the Oasis. He's <laughs> no. still standing here holding it, uh, yelling out, Cripes, he's here! Um, on one side of the panel. On the other side, we see Olden, but in front of him, between he and the mummy, <laughs> is a, a painting. And on the floor is a can with paintbrushes in it, a fueled lantern, a, a, a hurricane lamp, on yeah. a chair sitting next to it. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's everything here. But to me, it's obvious that what they're trying to say is this painting, whatever's going on in this, is something Olden has been has been doing. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I mean, up until now, <laughs> what, what did we even have the slightest inkling that dude painted or did anything? Did no. anything? I mean, I just I just thought he liked to go on safaris, man. That was it. Yeah, he's just been a dude in the story. <laughs> um, here in couple pages does it start let's see not the next page but here very soon we get a text piece uh that goes mm -hmm. on for a couple pages that really fills in quite a bit uh particularly of old dan but gives us an indication of why asp and old dan are even together um not like heavy detailed but kind of a oh that's why kind of mm -hmm. explanation for why they're why they're together um, and then in the bottom, probably third of this panel, we have uh, the start of the narration, mm -hmm. which, again, in this panel, I don't necessarily think that any narration is necessary. I mean, I, I have a pretty good idea of what's going on, you know, and obviously I know what occurred up to this point. Yeah. And if, if you're going to narrate and tell me something that's going to happen, say, starting the next page or don't just let this page. <laughs> be itself. Now, I, I I do understand that they must have known that this narration was going to go because mm -hmm. a lot of this bottom, uh, I don't know, 20% of the panel doesn't really have a whole lot of um, explanation for anything that's going on other than the slats of the floor. So you yeah. can see it's a wooden floor. So there's a large, empty or, or negative, I guess they would call it, space here which right. they must have been told because leave room for a narration here, you know, which must have been what they did. But I, I, it's, it's just, it's another panel in the story that it's like, no, you don't really have to say anything because the artwork is giving you completely what the story is for this page. Yeah. So on this page, there was just a couple of things I wanted to point out. So you pointed out everything going on in this page. But it looks like they have a bottle of Jack and a shot glass over on the dresser there. Yeah, you're right. I see that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, too, I thought to myself, they have tables in here, you know, places to put a lamp. Why is it on the guy's chair? Like, I, uh, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's a little, a little kooky there. And then I did think maybe just a tiny little possibility here. Maybe the... Uh, the the bulb is going back and forth because uh, maybe that piece of the door might have hit it. I don't know. Oh, could I just thought, be. 
Okay. Yeah, because he smashes the piece of the door with the knob on it, and it it looks like it's heading in that direction or did hit it maybe. So I'm like, oh, maybe that was it. I don't know. Could could be. Yeah, you're right. Could be. I didn't I didn't think of that. But yeah, the way it's drawn, it's like okay, maybe the door hit it. Um, and and so then what it's telling you is that the pieces of the door flew into the room. Yeah. Yeah, that one's about to hit oh. through the door. Yeah, yeah. Hit hit Safari guy there. He's going to get knocked out by if he doesn't move. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, I, I do like ahead. that 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 caption box. It says, "For you would have to fail to take into account uh, that the mummy needs no sleep, no food, and could spend every single hour of the day and night searching for his salvation." So we don't know how much time has taken place since last issue and this issue. Because the guy, you know, Asp was like, oh, this city's so huge, he'll never find us. But if it's been a bit of length of time, and again, they stop to eat, they stop to sleep, and this and that, where he doesn't, he'd eventually probably find them, right? Right, yeah, he'll he'll catch up because they're taking breaks, but he's not. Yeah, so, okay, when we get to this next scene here, you know, uh, Safari guy, Asp, stand back. And he takes his lamp, which didn't look like it was lit on the previous page, but no. it is now. And he chucks it at our buddy, the mummy, and it catches him on fire. And he actually screams and he starts running around in a panic. And it looks like he runs into a wall or runs through the wall of their like little you know, hotel room or whatever you want to say here. Hacienda, whatever. And falls face first into the street, into like some puddles. And that puts him, uh, you know, out, you know, puts the fire out. But I will say this. When you look at that page and everything we've seen previously, when I first saw these next couple of pages with these giant text boxes, I thought, why did Tony Isabella do this? Was he just trying to indulge himself a bit with what he wanted to write and the panels weren't enough? But then I'm thinking to myself, I think possibly maybe Val Merrick was running uh, late with the artwork. Okay. Because when you look at page seven and it shows uh, the asp there and what's going on, there is like... It looks like a rush job, like it's not totally finished. You know what I mean? Like, especially yes. compared to the earlier pages. And I thought maybe they said to him, hey, he's not going to be able to finish in time. And that's why there are some, you know, huge text boxes that have just like, you know, these like one, two, three, four, five paragraphs of text in it. It's that's what I thought must have happened. Maybe he I guess he was running late because that looks very not detailed, like at all. Right. And, and that would also explain why suddenly for what is that that's about 80 percent of that page and probably 75 80 percent of the next page is just text with just mm -hmm. spot illustrations um then the very next page after the mummy goes uh face planting mm -hmm. the first panel on the left asp is barely rendered in yeah Yep. So so maybe that's what's going on is that they they didn't leave Merrick enough time or he didn't have enough time. The the art seems to be getting a little bit more open or a little bit more sketchy rather than finished. And then, bam, for two whole pages, just about is text. So mm -hmm. all of that would would make you think, well, you know, hmm, something was going on with the art. And yeah. maybe maybe it turned out at this point it was a time issue. Yeah, and maybe it didn't bat on me. I should have looked it up. I, for all I know, maybe over these couple of months here, maybe uh, Merrick did you know two or three other books too, oh, which right, is, yeah. is, is ask it's asking a lot. So, or maybe he's just one of those artists too. Again, like to harken back to the cover artist Frank Brunner. 
I know that's pretty much why he got out of comics because he couldn't keep up with the pace because he, he was so detailed in his work. He could not keep up with the monthly rigors of a book. Like when Dr. Strange went from every other month to every month, he really faded off the book very quickly because he could not keep up with that schedule with how he draws. So right. maybe that's the case. Could be the could, case here as well. Could be. Yeah. Uh, we, we know, you know, Merrick's been at it for, for a little while now. So mm -hmm. something must be going on because, uh, and by added, I mean, just, you know, doing art, yeah. um, something is going on because you can see that it it's starting uh, the past couple pages and the next several pages to not look as much like Merrick's art as say the, the issue before this did. Yeah. It almost looks like it's just, you know, penciled and very, very quickly inked. Yeah. Yeah. If even at, in some places, if inked at all, just colored uh, again, like this panel here where Asp is going back through the door that Encantu just broke into, you you can barely discern him from the wall and from the door. Yep, yeah, and like you're saying, that page two, page six and page seven. Page six, you know, it ends with uh, the Asp saying, Old Dan, I got a better look this time. This guy is for real. And like I said, here we go. I don't know if uh, Kupperberg, maybe he was in a hurry too to get this out, but O-L-D-D-A-N, the very next page, very first panel, O L D D E N. I'm like, yeah. Wait a minute. What's this guy's name? <laughs> yeah, we don't know at this point. Yeah, but he says, "I never argue with experience, Olden. Let's go." And he says, "But my paints, my canvases. Yeah, he's he's really like you can tell he's he is rendered enough well enough there to to tell he's distraught about this." And the asp says, "Look, after we sell the scarab, we'll sneak back. If the coast is clear, we'll get them. If not, we'll buy a whole new set. Good stuff, not like the dime store crap you've been using." This caper is going to set us up for life, just like I promised you. You're going to get your chance to be great. And then that's when we see this, you know, the, these uh, basically like panel, two panels, whatever you want to call it. That's not, you know, rendered very, uh, very well as far as, you know, detail. And then this, uh, you know, the, the huge like five paragraph uh, text piece here, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right. That That is very uh sketchy art and by by sketchy i don't mean like if you're questionable i mean like just the barest of idea put down with pencil and then mm -hmm. something either it gets inked over or it gets colored to show the definition or a combination of both but yeah sketchy in the well you know how about this idea and mm -hmm. they're like okay yeah we'll take it and, and they ran with it uh, again which would um show that perhaps there were some time issues going on and uh, the text piece starts out saying a chance to be great. And that's how that last text text. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, caption or not caption box, a uh, word balloon uh, ended there. And, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it kind of goes into uh, the background on these two guys. And it says the ass fixation extended beyond the usual fixation of making it big. He, of course, wanted to be great himself. He placed just as much, if not more emphasis on seeing that old end was likewise elevated to those stellar ranks. And he goes, which, if you're at all familiar with the ASP personal history, you will agree is somewhat unusual. You see, the ASP had a long record of being, there is no softening of the term, a patsy. And it says about him being in some street gangs by the time he was 12. And that was his family by then. And he took the rap for a robbery. And two years, uh, it says two years at the detention farm, which I've never heard of a detention farm. So not too familiar with that, but it does really get into, you know, detail about him on that page. And then, uh, 
on uh, old hand, you know, Safari guy here on the uh, the next page, uh, page ten, right? Yeah, yeah. The um, the next page, it, and and they kind of divided it up. The first page was Asp, and the second mm-hmm. page was more uh, old Dan and what he is. But here we we do see kind of an explanation for the fact that he is painting. Perhaps mm-hmm. um, he is described as being multifaceted, and some of the uh, illicit things that he has gotten up to kind mm-hmm. of show him as they describe him as being a gentleman's thief. So he was, he was kind of more the, the prim and proper, like, you know, turn of the century kind of bad guy, um, as opposed to any hardened gun carrying kind of person that would have been around um, here in the seventies the when we're seeing this and, Presumably, that is when it's going on as well, because we have that uh, Israeli-Egyptian conflict. So you you see that he's kind of an old school kind of dude. And so maybe he was into arts and and having free time, which I it's kind of surprising he had free time because they were they were on the run. I mean, they were trying to stay away from the mummy. So I I would think that meant they were always moving Um, Mm -hmm. plus to trying to find either trying to find or getting to uh, whomever had agreed to buy the scarab, you know, so they, they would yeah. have been moving around and, and everything like that. They wouldn't have had time just to sit in a room and let Olden, uh, you know, consult his muse and put that down on, on board <laughs> as, you know, so um, yeah. obviously I guess they're, they're trying to, I guess what they're wanting to do by the text piece of, uh, in general as well is, is add some more character to these two men that have just been very mm-hmm. uh, superficial up to this point. You know, they've both just been dudes uh, with a mm-hmm. couple names and we, we don't know anything about them. We don't know why we don't know, you know, and, and they're trying to flesh them out uh, a little bit, I guess. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly what happened. They were kind of just thrown in uh, the reader's laps here very quickly. And this is their way to try to not backtrack, but like you said, try to give them a little more character depth, to uh, you know, make you actually give a crap about the characters. Again, it's 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 a pretty good job, even though it's through this weird means of these text pieces. But you know, if the artist wasn't able to uh, you know get out full pages, then eh, that's the way you got to go. Yeah, it it works. I mean, uh, the 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 big name British dudes do it all the time in their mm-hmm. uh, fancy schmancy comic books, uh, full text yeah. pages and stuff like that. So yeah, it it works. Yeah. So then now cut to a goddess or someone very close to one returning to this mortal coil for the first time in eons. And we finally have our uh, girl here, Zephyr uh, arriving on earth in this room. And I'm still not sure what was going on here. So there's a bunch of guys in a room. And uh, like you said, I think these are like, you know, uh, a bunch of Muslim guys. Cause they say Allah be praised when she shows up wearing very little like her, her outfit, you know the, the 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 buttons and the straps are working overtime here. They're... Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I I think she poofed into like an alley because if you look okay. at the the first panel there on the the second co- uh, the second row, yeah, uh, it, it's blue like it's night, and and so maybe these are like um, the 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 lower echelon of people, uh, not necessarily. Um, bums or uh, what's like the homeless people and they've just all gathered around in an alley for the night you know this is where they they chill and she just poofs into the middle of them 
Yeah, one of them says, Allah has sent a messenger to us. And the other guy says, aid us, O divine spirit, save us from this poverty we suffer. And then a third guy says, give us the wealth to live as men again. And yeah. she, she pauses and it says, some things have not changed, she thinks, since the days of when she was a serving wench. And although her part in obtaining the arcane knowledge that transformed four mortals into the elementals raised her from that lowly station, the memories of poverty have never quite left her. So she she can relate to these guys. And it says she calls up her winds of change and sets these shackled men free. And it, she has, it's a small panel. It's not very detailed. But you can see all these men kind of bowing at her. She has her arms out and something's going on. But I don't get what happens here because it says if only in their minds and if only sadly for a time. So I don't know if she put some kind of mind whammy on these guys to make them think they're not living in poverty because there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. She didn't deliver some gold or coins or money or even food. There's nothing there. That That's what I think is that she she gave them like a head whammy and they're hallucinating what it is they're speaking of. Because if you look the the dude down here, <laughs> Yeah, at the bottom. these grapes. Yeah, and and he's holding a hand of, full of dirt. Uh, there there are no grapes <laughs> in his hand. So, yeah, I I think she. Jeez. Which is interesting because, you know, she wants to help them, so to speak. The memories of poverty have never left her. So uh -huh. to help them, what she did is help them hallucinate for a period of time, and it'll go away, and they'll be right back where they were. It's like. Wow. How did you is help that, them, dog? What What is that? Yeah, does that really help them? Thinking it's, it's like yeah. when you're out in the desert, you start having those, you know, you see, you think you see an oasis because you're so thirsty and there's nothing really there, and you just start drinking sand. Yep, I I, I want to be a rich man. Well, here, drink this ayahuasca and you'll be rich. <laughs> That's you what know, I'm thinking. Like, yeah, she does. Have, she does have some powers. Go like grab them some. Like she has wind powers. Go go to a a market and grab some, you know, fruit for them or something. Something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> You know, like like if she were Storm, she could conjure up whatever and float it to him and set him down on the ground. Well, she should be able to do that. You know, she'd bring bring a, a daggone car there and say, well, here, at least sleep in the car, you know. But, yeah, she she's like, no, no, I'll help you pretend, and then it'll all return back to what it was. And then I love this, too. She starts walking down this street, and it says, she moves into the main <laughs> corridor of Cairo, her senses assailed by the lingering odors of the day's traffic and other foul scents. Uh, yep, <laughs> we see a guy go. there. I don't know if he's a pimp or whatever this guy is, but he's pretty seedy looking sitting there with a, a cig. And it says, the man is a member of the world's second oldest profession. He is making the mistake of his life. And he goes, ah, my beautiful one, you must be new here. It is foolish of you to walk these streets without protection. She says, are you addressing me, man? She, he goes, do not take so defensive a tone, my love. My only aim is to serve you to our mutual benefit. And he puts his arm around her, which of course, this is a huge mistake. And <laughs> she thinks to herself, uh, the others would deal with more harshly with him. Magnum would break his bones. Hellfire would reduce him to smoldering ash. Hydron being the cruelest of them would dehydrate him slowly. And then you see her do some kind of mind whammy on him that it looks like it's going to makes his brain explode. And then she uses her wind power to just, and he goes like, I don't know if she's going to chuck him over the other side of a building or what. Not the other side of the building. Where, where does she put him there in that next panel? I'm trying to see. In that next panel, you see her walking away, but I don't see what, where he is. What does it say, though? Oh, it says, in 36 hours, he will land in Youngstown, Ohio. There you go, <laughs> I didn't man. Even she, see that. 
she poofed him up into the air and he's floating all the way to Youngstown, Ohio over the next 36 hours from Cairo. That's great. Dude gets hungry. He gets thirsty. How does he stay warm? He probably is in really bad shape when he lands. And it says due to his possessing a sizable amount of highly illegal substance (laughs) and being without a passport, he will be arrested and spend 10 to 20 years in federal prison. And I'm thinking, well, if he's not a citizen, no, he won't. He will be extradited. No, yeah, really. No. <laughs> Although 10 to 20 years in a federal prison in the United States is probably better than what will happen to him over there. He'll probably cut his hands off. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, and plus, too, I guess because prostitution is the world's oldest profession, a pimp is the second oldest profession. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, is, I mean, is said. that what they're saying? Yeah, okay. I guess. That's their logic there. But I like that panel too, where she's walking down the street like a boss, like she's got a strut going on. Oh, yeah. She's, she's just <laughs> walking down the street. She's going somewhere. And yeah, dude is just sitting there and he's like, hey. <laughs> yeah, and then she looks down an alleyway and there's our buddy Encantu after he blasted through that wall. He's still laying there hurt, right? Yeah. Again, just a, an interesting happenstance. Cairo's not a small city. You know, Cairo's mm, no. pretty big. She's walking through whatever section, uh, maybe a poor section overall of the city because of all the yeah. dudes she ran into to begin with. And she just happens to be, you know, this says, although here it says um, into the main corridor of Cairo. So I would think that's a pretty up part of the, the city, right? I mean, you if it's the think, main yeah. thoroughfare, yeah. So she has walked enough that she has gotten into the uh, lower uh, uh, money parts of the city. And, oh, she just happens to walk by uh, an alleyway that Encantu <laughs> is laying at, having busted through a wall of a motel, hotel kind of place, where yeah. our other two boys, uh, Asp and Safari Guy, were at. It's like, oh, yeah, this is all just really just, you know, coming together <laughs> yeah. to, to move this story along. Okay. And I... And I love this. She goes, and Kantu. And she walks over to him. I don't know if she thought he was out on a bender or what. But she goes, she goes, have you no pride? Once great king of the Swarilis arise from that mire. You are again mine to command. And he doesn't move. And she says, rise, I say. And then she thinks to herself, anger flashes in ebony eyes. The man mummy is daring to disobey her. Then she sees the scorched, cracked, blistered flesh exposed by the flames ravages and you really can't see that from the picture it's just like all muddy and stuff like that and he says i will not serve you elemental i will never stand to do your bidding and again i don't think he could physically at this point anyway no no she she reaches down to uh heal him here right right yeah yeah that's she which did we know that's one of her powers yeah she did that didn't she when they first met I, i thought that she she healed him like when he was prisoner or something, but yeah, well, he did fight those rock guys. So maybe he was hurt, but man, she can heal. She can mind whammy. She can throw you with her winds from Cairo to Youngstown, Ohio. <laughs> right. So, so in order, in order to help people, all she does is give them an, an ayahuasca fit and, and let them go because mm-hmm. that's so, all she can do. Yeah. So she doesn't put any wine mind whammy on him. She heals him, And it says uh, cut to a fashionable Cairo hotel where two less than fashionable gentlemen conclude a business transaction. This is uh, page 16 here. and It says, I trust this will be sufficient down payment on the artifact. And we see uh, our buddy Asp and Safari guy here have found Ron Janice and Dr. Scarab 
and they're telling him, hey, we have the Scarlet Scarab, so we'll sell it to you. And, you know, they're going to do some business here. And Scarab says, I don't think you have to worry about my about Encantu. My friends Ron and Janice will testify. And he says, it's been a pleasure doing business with you, Dr. Scarab. My partner and I will be in New York next month to collect the balance. And Safari guy, if the mummy doesn't get us first. So he's still going on about that. Uh, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> still worried about the mummy, man. Mm-hmm. And then again, a quick flashback. And it says, I can see you are doubtful. But it was my ancestor, the priest Nephris, who condemned Encantu to a horrible living death. And there's a flashback to like all the way to Supernatural Thrillers 5 there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the mummy's on the ground. And it shows that scene where uh, Dr. Scarab, you know, Mr. Science, was going to just just got a pistol and started shooting him to try and kill him, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is I guess this is for our benefit as the reader. Right. Because mm-hmm. you're you're buying potentially a piece of stolen artwork. Yeah, it's hot. Uh, you're still in the country that it comes from. Uh, so you're you're doing some some illicit dealings, here. but you're going to take the time to uh, explain some portion of your life story to these two ne'er do wells who had this artifact illegally that you're buying illegally off of them. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, okay. Yeah, and Dr. Scarab uh, even explains to the Asp here how there's a link between him and the mummy, and the guy's like, yeah. a link? Okay, pal, and he's go, he'll find me again, I'm sure of it. And one other thing, I felt his mind, his soul, he's not evil. And, you know, he kind of goes on and talks about it a little bit, and mm-hmm. the Asp and Safari guy are like, yeah, well, that's a nice story, pal, but we're out of here. So they yeah. go back to their crazy apartment or motel or whatever here, and the door is still smashed in, and they walk through the hole in the door, and uh, our buddy uh, Zephyr's here, right? Yeah, apparently after healing uh, in Kentu, they just went, I guess, you know, back through the hole in the wall, and they're just waiting for him there in the room. It's like, well, whatever else has happened, the people I'm looking for will come back here. I know it. Mm-hmm. I love uh, the asps uh, when they walk through the hole in the door, his dialogue. No sign of the mama old dan have you been holding out on me <laughs> when wow. he sees zephyr <laughs> yeah oh that is so good yep mm. i do not come to exchange innuendos man i desire only the scarab and he goes uh give it to me and he says hell why'd you have to bring business into what could have been a beautiful relationship no way baby unless of course you'd care to make me an offer and he says my offer is this, man. Give me the gem. And I like that panel where the two of them are standing there and you see the mummy's hand creeping out. <laughs> yeah, you you see him start to... Something looks like he's going to like smack him on the back of the head or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he, she says, give me, you know, the scarab or your friend dies. And, oh, Dan, oh, cripes. And again, cripes with the K. Call off the mummy, baby. I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> so now they're kind of unwilling partners here. Uh, for the rest of the book, right? Yeah, uh, th- I don't know. I-, I-, I wish they would just go to like drawing pictures because the dialogue on that page was <laughs> was kind of d- difficult. You know, it's uh, yeah. First of all, everybody she refers to is man, mm-hmm. um, not an adjective man like an old man or anything. Just like man and hey, I, man. I, yeah, I'm just like. <laughs> That just feels weird. I and, and then the asp, the, yeah, it's like 
that that dialogue is like no don't don't dialogue anymore just draw the pictures action and stuff like that that's that dialogue is not good yeah and i'm a little hazy about what's going on here because i think to myself i thought he still had the scarab because i thought he said that was only a down payment and i want the rest of the money so then why did they need to go to dr scarab's room i don't get this well i guess they they must have when they took receipt of however much money they must have given him the scarab oddly enough with the understanding <laughs> that you can go home and we'll follow you home and get the rest of the money yeah which is so dumb why would you say to somebody hey yeah. I'll, I'll give you this for 10 grand and they give you a five and you say okay you can have it now just give me the rest yeah. later what no no <laughs> you're going to take the five and the scarab both and you're going to be like okay now where can you come up with the rest when you give me the rest i'll give you the scarab that's, that's yeah. normally how that works, you know. No wonder the Aspen uh, Safari guy are broke all the time. This yeah, is why. really. They, they, They're bad they, businessmen. <laughs> they don't do it very often, apparently. They they haven't learned yet. No, and they, they go into his room, and uh, Dr. Scarab, he's, he loves his pistol. So he shoots at them both, and he hits uh, the Aspen shoulder, it looks like, and then blasts at the mummy a couple of times, and, of course, it has no effect. And the mummy picks him up like he's going to, you know, uh, beat him down pretty bad here. And uh, Dr. Scarab just says, Encantu, I am not Nephris. And there's a really cool panel I, there. It's a zoom in there, right? Yeah, I, I guess the um, I guess the face looked like Nephris, and that's all that yeah. he could think of. It. I, I don't know. I mean, there, there are times in the story that I think there are some leaps that maybe were solidified in a writer's mind, you know, whichever of the plotters were responsible for different parts. But as far as what has been put on paper, it's not as clear as it was in their head, mm -hmm. having gone yeah. through everything in their head, you know, because there are here is an instance. It's like, well, he, he picks him up and he's going to squash him because he just shot at him. So he proved he's he's a, an enemy of Encantu. So. The mummy is going to squash him because of that. Across the room, he, he before, in order to elicit the attack, there's no way that the mummy thought that that looked like Nephris, and that's why he was attacking him to begin with. In, well, in, in mean, my mind, anyway. So, all the way back to issue five, when he first awoke and he was like confused and didn't know where he was at and all that stuff, he did think Scarab was Nephris because. He's a descendant of him and supposedly does look like him, which, okay, I have no problem with that. But between that issue and now, he is not, like, in pain and confused, and he knows where he is, what he, he knows it's way later, like thousands of years later. He has a lot of wherewithal now that he didn't in issue five. So why would he still think he's Nephris? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, un unless the, the control of Zephyr kind of puts him maybe in a state back like yeah. when he first became the mummy or something. I mean, we we know she's the ayahuasca wench already. So maybe that has done, you know, I, and, you know, that's one of those things. It's like, well, I'm sure whoever was responsible for this per portion of the story, it made sense to them. But in the pictures that we have seen in the story so far, it doesn't necessarily make that kind of sense to me. So I'm I'm not sure. Not that it's a big deal. It doesn't completely take me out of no. the story or anything like that. No, but it's no. like, well, you know, why does it necessarily matter? I mean, there's enough going on here that like, okay, 
They've been sent after him. The mummy's going to squash him, get the scarab, and and move on. Mm-hmm. The why is like, well, you know, it's not really necessary. But when they try to explain the why, it's like, that that doesn't make sense. But, no. So. And I mean, I will say, too, in the last couple of pages, like the last three or four pages, the artwork has swung back to being a little bit yes. better and more detailed. So, again, I don't know why that middle section with those text pieces is like that. It's It's a little odd, but... You know, maybe he, you know, when Merrick does his artwork, maybe he just doesn't do it in a linear fashion. Maybe he drew some pages for the beginning and then drew some pages for the end and then got behind and had right. to hurry with the middle. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe he he does. Or maybe he did this book uh, out of order uh, from mm-hmm. from what we see. And, and yeah. yeah, he was able to complete the beginning and the end, but ran into some trouble in the middle. Yeah, that's totally, totally possible. But yeah, because again, the mummy looks really good on page 23. They're lifting up uh, Scarab. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Scarab's foot and ankle, maybe not the greatest, but that it that really looks pretty cool. And there's uh, detail on, you know, Dr. Scarab's face when he's got him by the, you know, the shirt mm-hmm. there and a, a zoom in on the mummy again with that, that left eye, red eye kind of like, you know, just blazing like, oh, man, that looks really neat. And the uh, the right eye still obscured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, yeah, in all of the images here, where we're seeing it's so. I wonder if somewhere along the way he has lost that eye. Yeah, it's totally possible. Maybe that happened. You know, maybe it. Uh, maybe a little beetle ate it while he was. You know, exactly. <laughs> One of the scarab beetles ate the eye before they could get him out. That's, yeah. But then it's funny. There's a the mummy, Doctor Scarab, and the asp, and they they all kind of just have a bit of a conversation about what's going on here and. Dr. Scarab says about how these elementals are, you know, trying to do something that's going to endanger the whole planet. And the asp kind of is like, okay, well, you know, I I like to, you know, rob and pillage and do all this crazy bad guy stuff, but I'll help save, you know, the world too, if that's what's going to happen here. On page 26, Dr. Scarab says, you'll hardly die from that scratch, my larcenous friend. And what we're jabbering about is quite possible, the fate of our world. And (laughs) I love that. First of all, the panel layout on that page is off the chain. It's really, really good. But I love the very first triangular shaped panel there. It almost looks like the mummy's uh, breakdancing. Um, yeah. Okay, I can see that. Almost. He like needs a piece of cardboard there to start right, flipping. Almost around. like he's spinning on his hand there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I I, I see that. <laughs> but what about the rest of that page? That's a neat page. Yeah, uh, like you said, it's um. What is this? This is about. 20%, so maybe about the, the other 80% of the page, is divided up into, if, if you took the whole page, uh, the, the, the rest of the page in one panel, 80%, and then you did a, you diagonally divided that up to where of that 80%, uh, let's say, you know, 15% was in the a triangle on the left, you drew a line, and then you drew five or six inches across in the middle, and then you drew another diagonal line, and then you filled that bottom triangle. Each of those slashed panels, uh, a different uh, picture, a different panel. And that's mm-hmm. that's what they have done here. Um, to me, it, it feels like, and, and I don't know if it's, this, this could be in hindsight because of how they used the panels, but mm-hmm. I, I do definitely get that sense of of uh, of time, um, and and I don't know if it's because of the shape of the panels or because of what they said or did in the panels or anything like that, or I'm not anything like that. But you know, one of those two cases. 
but that's what we're doing is is we're getting a, a rehash of some things that have gone on in the past, and they're using this diagonal panel to I don't know add interest to the images I guess because it's mm-hmm. like the, you know it's the third or fourth time that we've seen this aspect of the story so we we as the reader who have read all of the issues kind of know it so I guess yeah. to to placate us to make it more interesting while we're catching up brand new readers with the story they use this diagonal element which was really um really different i don't know that we've really seen them go diagonal up until this point with any of the panels yeah this one's really great and i i love the bottom very bottom panel where it's you know it's basically recapping and showing uh, the scene of the mummy versus uh, the living pharaoh and I love how the living pharaoh's, you know, head and headdress kind of go up to the point of the panel there. And there's actually a, a little bit of dialogue uh, on his uh, headdress there. Mm-hmm. In, <laughs> in the color. Yeah. 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 With the green background. And there's a little bit in the bottom left hand corner as well. And then a little caption box there by Len uh, letting us know what issues you can find out all this happened in. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very um, just very visually different and so very interesting using that those diagonals like that and the way within each of the diagonals the art and the narration was used Mm -hmm. and then the next page we get you know the the three of them deciding well we're gonna you know team up here we're gonna have a a marvel team up here basically (laughs) and uh we're going to uh uh, see if you know the the elemental zephyr will be on our team as well and help us defeat these other elementals and then uh we get the the final page there, right, where it's like next issue, the origin of the elementals. That's a pretty wild page. Yeah, yeah. We uh, they they have finally, or have they? Yeah, they. I, I guess she must have gone back in 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 defeat. I guess mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but they the the three male elementals seem to have her <laughs> have her in the state that many female characters were at this point she's all bound up and they're mm-hmm. in control and you know all this other stuff but they they have popped into our dimension just like zephyr did and they're all explaining or excuse me exclaiming uh, and very aggressive looking in regards to uh who is this this is safari guy and asp and in Kantu here um, so yeah, they're, they're coming, they're coming to get their pound of flesh. The elementals are, and that's, um, interesting band of like energy there in the middle of the panel too. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm assuming, especially from the point of view of the elementals, they're trying to say that they think Zephyr is, you know, being treasonous, that she, you know, is siding with the mummy and the asp and everybody. Right. Yeah, I guess didn't do what didn't she that, said but... she was going to do. Uh, I guess yeah. that would make her treasonous. And who who is this? Is this um, uh, Doctor Scarab also on the platform? Is that who? That I is? think that's I think that's Safari guy. Um. Well then. Oh, and this then is Doctor Scarab down here and bottom asked, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, bottom right hand corner and okay, then Safari on the guy. left and the mummy in between them. And I think because yeah, he says, you know, she is going to pay for her treason. And unless you hand over the Scarlet Scarab immediately, this is Hellfire speaking, the old man shares her fate. I'm assuming they, they're calling the old man a safari guy. I didn't think he looked that old, but you know, maybe uh, maybe I'm just getting up there. Oh, because back it was just Scarab and, and Cantu that left to go get yes. the Scarab back. Yep. Okay, yep. that's where I got lost. It was Safari guy and Zephyr stayed 
uh, in in their old uh, room where Encantu busted out the door in the wall. Mm-hmm. Scarab, um, yeah, Scarab and Encantu went back to Doctor, or not Scarab, Asp, and Encantu went back to find Doctor Scarab to get the Scarlet Scarab, and so that's why they <laughs> were together. Zephyr and Safari Guy were back in the room, so the the rest of the Elementals must have popped into the room first, or, or got to the room first, took them captive, and then tracked everybody else down, and they're just now making themselves known uh, to the rest of our happy crew who is asked Dr. Scarab and the mummy. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And like you said, yeah, there's this weird kind of energy. They're almost like standing on top of uh, blasting uh, around a chiron. Yeah. Like a platform or so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, pretty cool. I mean, it's a, you know, the origin elementals. Now we did find out a little bit about their origin already. So I'm assuming they're just going to expand and go deeper on it. Right. I yeah I guess we I mean we got enough to get us through before so yeah but you figure it's uh, you know this is only issue eleven so we have four more issues to get through here so I guess they're going to use that to expand on them and then continue the fight because I'm pretty sure these last four issues is you know still those guys as the the, the major you know focal point of uh, supernatural thrillers the mummy and the elementals I think it is I, well we definitely know at least it's the mummy uh, and. Mm-hmm. At this point, yeah, I guess the the rest of the conflict will be with the elementals. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to look ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to look ahead to see what happened, but I was like, no, I, I'm enjoying reading these as they come up too much. I, I don't want to move ahead. And then there was a little two-pager here uh, by one of my favorite horror artists of all time, Tom Sutton. Sometimes okay. in uh, books, I think he did this in a couple of Marvel books, and I think think if i'm remembering correctly he did a couple for uh, oh i want to say warren but i could be wrong where it's like kind of a, a, a horror setting but like a little humorous story and it's a little two-pager it's kind of funny you know just kind of along the same lines of the uh you know the, the the backup the golden age backup that was in the previous one where it's just a little couple of page story with a humorous or ironic you know ending or tone to it so that was always cool i love seeing his work love love tom sutton and 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 you're right. It's it's just a little. Uh, we've got a little bit more room. What can we do? Well, here, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, do you have anything, uh, Tom? Yeah, I've, I've got this. Here, go ahead and put that in there. And it's just a, a quick little hit of uh, very nice line work. Um, again, some of these panels would be just absolutely spectacular if they were just black and white. But the coloring, I mm. thought, was was pretty good too. Um, just yeah, funny, ironic. Um, I guess ironic really more than funny, but mm-hmm. we, we all laugh at irony too. So, yep, absolutely. So, well, yeah. So what do you think overall two thumbs up here for these uh, two issues, right? A lot of fun. Yeah. A, a whole lot of fun. And I, I, I particularly like the fact that they don't have the same feeling to me as most everything else uh, in, in Marvel at the time. So if you, you know, if, if you don't want that kind of stuff, the superhero, feel um these books are allowing you to t- still give marvel your money you know if that's what you want to mm-hmm. do but get a completely different style uh, both of artwork and particularly of storytelling and something that that those people can enjoy if they don't want to read about cap and the avengers and the x-men so yeah i, I really enjoy that it's 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 showing a breadth of of what marvel is putting out at the time 
yeah, now that I'm looking at the uh, information on the issue, this crazy little two-story uh, uh, horror thing by uh, Tom Sutton, it was originally in Tower of Shadows 6 from uh, July 1970. So basically, they just took a reprint. <laughs> right. Not, but, not but surprising. Still, you know, those, those books, uh, they were... A, a really good relief at the time. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. this was a time when Marvel was kind of transitioning. 1970, they were they were into their superheroes a little bit, but they were still trying to hold on to those things that got them through before Fantastic Four. So they were still trying to hold on to Western and horror. Um, a lot of the romance had kind of tapered out by this point, but the the Western and the horror and other elements. Um, sci-fi uh, police procedurals and things like that they're still trying to hold on to with those tower of this and monster of that and tales and suspense and all these other things um so we're we're seeing the superhero starting with fantastic four start to push all of that other stuff out if you're watching all of what marvel is putting out you you can see that happening in the offering mm-hmm yep Totally, totally agree with you there. So, all right, well, that's going to be it for this one. But yes, stay tuned. You know, we're going to hit up two more issues uh, and then two more uh, after that to wrap uh, up Supernatural Thrillers. And then, uh, you know, we'll get our heads together and who knows what we'll cover after that. Maybe we'll dive into something else that'll, uh, you know, take us down a road where we uh, see something really cool that we hadn't seen in a long time or something brand new to us, right? Yep, sounds like, uh, like some good stuff. Awesome. 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 So, all right, Ed, if anybody's looking for you out there, I know uh, at Teal Productions on Twitter, right? And then you uh, have some other shows as well. Yeah. Yeah. At Teal Productions, actually both on Twitter. And if if you are still a a Facebook person, uh, Teal Mm -hmm. Productions has a page on Facebook where everything is posted there too. Um, So you, you can find it either one of those places. Those are mainly the only two places I go. I know there's like a million and a half other social media outlets, but I don't, (laughs) I don't really mess with them. So th- those are the two main places. Um, and yeah, Billy, as, as far as other shows, uh, just about everything except one show that I do talks about comics. Um, so if you like comics, I talk about Ronan Rabbit on a, on one show. I talk about Thor. Um, I talk about what else? Actually, it's not active right now, but there's a, a show where I talked about Green Arrow for a while. It was about 40 episodes long. Mm. Um uh, there's a show where I talk about early 80s stuff, like uh, uh, I've talked about Samurai from Aerosol Comics. I've talked about some Pacific Comics books, uh, Nexus and Badger and just books like that from the early early to middle 80s. Um, and on Twitter, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm liable to talk just about anything or, or get into people's conversations about just about anything. So. Most of my podcasting and social media is about comic books. Yeah, and I'll definitely give a shout out to your Dr. Fate podcast, Lords of Order. That's a good one, too. And then uh, your uh, co-host of the Superman Super Show with Steven uh, going through Golden Age Superman, right? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, um, actually, we're putting uh, recording some more episodes uh, this coming week as Billy and I are recording this. So looking forward to that. Moving through the... um, action appearances and then the superman titled appearances and i think here before too long should uh, come up world's um world's finest is what it got to be mm. called. the very first issue was called world's best 
uh, issue one was world's best comics. Um, so here before too long, we should start getting into the Superman stories that are in those as well. Um, early on when they first came out, that was an anthology book, just like action oh, yeah. and adventure and some of the others. Uh, down the road, it kind of focused in on, you know, one concept. But that first bunch of those books are will be anthology books. And we'll be talking about just the Superman strip out of those books like we have um, out of action comics up to this point. Yeah, I haven't read any of the super early world's finest but i have read some of the later ones i mean like maybe around issue 100 somewhere around there and going forward and they are completely off the chain <laughs> uh, uh, yeah yeah they uh, kind of kind of remind you of of some of the other um com- uh, uh, team up books that dc mm-hmm. was was putting together at the time they they didn't necessarily do the team up books as like straight laced and serious as they did. And I'm kind of saying that tongue in cheek uh, as they did some of their other books, you know, they kind of did whatever they thought would sell the book in a lot of those Mm -hmm. team up books. So you get funky team ups and you get people acting funky when they team up. And yeah, it's a a lot of uh, just whatever period, whether it's golden age or silver age, comic booky fun is what those team up books particularly from dc really have a lot of yeah and just to be uh, specific i did actually buy a trade paperback of uh, batman superman world's finest uh, volume one i have not read any of that yet but i do have a hardcover of uh world's finest volume three the archive edition and that's the one i've read where there's like okay. a, a superman that's like a, a uh, Neanderthal Superman and stuff. It's just it. right. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. They're they're crazy. I love just it. real weird stuff happening. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're they're ridiculous. And again, of course, you know, once you got into a little bit later of the numbering, uh, my boy uh, Zany Bob Haney uh, wrote some. Yeah, boy, he he jumps in there with his own brand of weirdness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, all right, man. Well, yeah, that's going to uh, you know wrap things up here for this one. I want to thank you for being on again. I had a blast as usual, and then yes, uh, we'll look forward to doing more in the future, right? Yes, sir, Billy. Thanks. Uh, thanks for recording with me. I enjoyed it as well. All right. Yeah. Thanks for being on again, and uh, I'll be back in a minute to uh, wrap uh, things up. Well, John, I'm going to bed. I think you should too. We'll do some more in the morning. Yes, of course. You must be tired. I'm sorry. Good night. Good night. that's going to wrap up this episode once again i want to thank ed for being on the show ed's a really good guy definitely check him out on twitter at teal productions 
he has a lot of really good shows going on whether he's the you know host or the co-host a lot of fun stuff i mean we're talking golden age superman to uh you know uh, he has a show that covers uh, uh it's called lords of order that covers uh, dr fate you know he has a, a thor podcast he's got a lot going on and it's a lot of different stuff so definitely definitely check out ed on twitter and thanks for coming along for the ride once again And uh, I'll be back next week with another episode of the show.